lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV. After a long weekend, we are back in the saddle again here on The Steve Dace Show. That is my name, Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. They're here with me as well. If you'd like to join us today, it's 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. Check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And pre-sales are now available for my new book the novella sequel to a nefarious plot a nefarious carol it is dropping on december 15th just in time for christmas but you can get your pre-orders today over at amazon.com i've heard from a ton of you that have done this already thank you very much my kids are expecting a good christmas this year and frankly it's up to you well let me quote from the nfl it takes all of us takes all of us yes i i wrote i wrote the thing but you got to do the thing joe biden you got to buy it okay so go to amazon.com get your copy reserved right now just in time for christmas coming up on the show today our old friend billy hallowell is going to join us to talk about satan yes we will discuss his new book it's about demons The devil, possession, is this stuff real? We'll get into that at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we are going to do an entire hour of fake news or not. So I mentioned earlier that I had had seen a letter that that the CDC had responded to an elected official who had some questions about what they had seen going on with uh, the data, our response to coronavirus, lockdowns, etc. Next hour, we're going to go through that letter. I can tell you now today that it was the office of Senator Ted Cruz that sent this letter asking 13 questions of CDC, uh, trying to get some clarification on things earlier this summer. The last week of August, they finally received, over at uh, the senator's office, they finally received their answer to these questions from CDC. We are going to play fake news or not with this CDC letter coming up next hour. I know you guys have had a chance to review it as well. Yeah. And it is even more interesting because the letter was sent about three weeks ago and some stories that have come out like the New York Times expose on our hypersensitive testing mechanism and everything else. I think some of their answers are even more revealing now in light of the updated data uh, than even they were when those were sent at the end of August. So this is a segment next hour you do not want to miss. Also today... One day, six months ago, I just got the inspiration to check out what Imperial College thought about global warming and climate alarmism. And it was after reading their now notorious doomsday prophecy that never came true, but shut the world down. And that that embarked me, that sent me on a path for the last six months I've been on, which is 
calling BS on coronavirus panic porn with actual data. That it was clear their prophecy could not be true. Because the math didn't add up to their findings. The two things have to add up. Okay? Because when Imperial College did not, they didn't just release a mathematical equation. But this was a lobbying pamphlet. It was it was determined to get governments to act on the basis of their findings, right? Mm-hmm. So the math has to add up to the findings. So yesterday we had the day off, and the reason we had the day off yesterday is we because we've got a ton of vacation time we have to take that we didn't take when we were in the midst of a crisis during coronavirus. We're trying to figure out not to take a bunch of it leading up between now and the election because that's another crisis, right? So we're, you know, I, I, I could work these days for free, but I'm only paid for a certain amount of shows. And maybe you're from another country, okay? But I'm American. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm, I like cash, as they said in the movie Blue Chips, okay? I'm not doing this for nothing. So okay. what you're saying after the election, we'll see you in January, pretty there's, much. There's going to be a lot of time off in, after the election. I want to warn you now, all right? Uh, so we're, but not even after the election are there enough days for us to take everything off. So we're kind of trying to space them out here and there. So we took Monday off, and I decided Monday was a good day because it's also the day before my final ultimate deadline for the book publisher. I've got to have all my endorsements, every last minute change, addition, suggestion. Everything's got to all be done by the close of business today, all right? Because that's it's a 90-day f- turnaround, and 90 days from today is December the 15th, right? Okay. So um, yesterday we thought was a good day. I, I was detached from a lot of breaking news yesterday, trying to make sure all of this was done. And then, of course, because I'm at home, I got a bit of a honeydew list to throw in on top of that, which is fine. And I, that, that's par for the course. I get up this morning and I see a tweet from our buddy Sean Davis at the Federalist. And I'm thinking to myself, I know he's not lying to me, but this can't be right. It, they could, there's no way Fox News did this. And Sean is saying that Fox News put out in their latest poll of the 2020 election that only 5% of the electorate was going to be registered independents. Five. Folks, according to Gallup, we are sitting right now on the highest percentage of registered independents like ever. 40%. That's one of the most accurate polls for like three decades is the Gallup poll of party ID. You can almost always determine what is going to happen in November in any election, presidential or midterm, based on the trend line, which party is picking up is picking up adherence, right? And I'm like, there's no way Fox News published that poll. No way. So I went and looked for myself. And they did. And this morning that started me on a journey that about two hours later, I'm like, holy cow. This is like coronavirus all over again. Assume you're being lied to. I suppose it could be all these people are just at the same time, this bad at this. That's an option. It's an option. Okay? Or it's something else. I don't know which one it is, but in the overtime today, we're going to take a look at the four public polls that have been done in the media and included in the Real Clear Politics polling average. 
that have included samples of likely voters, which is what matters most now this time of year, not registered voters, include samples of likely voters and publicly released their methodology so that we could see how they got to the conclusions that they made. There have been four of these media polls included in the RCP average since the party conventions. We're going to go through these four polls. And I'm going to show you things that people have paid me to find in data to draw analysis and conclusions. And you're going to see fake news, folks, like you have. I've never seen it before. Well, except for the last six months. Okay. I mean, I, I cannot believe major polling firms put their name on this. I got, I'd never in a million years think of bringing these kinds of conclusions on the air, even if I'd been like paid off to sell out to somebody for fear that I'd be found out. It, it would be discovered. If I worked on a campaign, I certainly would not put my name on this work. And four major media companies, including Fox News, did. Joe Biden may win on November the 3rd. But it's not going to be the way any of these polls <laughs> have currently forecasted. You do not want to miss this. This is something I, I would have told you a couple of years ago. There's no way I would ever be doing this show. But on our show, we just have one standard. It's the one that's over my shoulder. What's the truth? And if the truth doesn't fit our narrative, then I guess we got to change our narrative, right? Yeah. So in this overtime, which I think is so important, I'm going to make this one for free. The Blaze has signed off on this. We're going to walk you through these four polls. And this isn't going to be hashtag skewed poll. No, no, no. This is going to be like a real professional breakdown of horse pucky. You guys know what is coming. I walked you guys through a, a preliminary rundown of this this morning. You want to give the audience a bit of a tease for what we're going to be doing later today? Well, uh, my own, and I think Aaron said this, our, our, our own personal psychology has been tracking this way, but uh, I, I think you're, you should be thinking about a certain uh, election in 1972 uh, when Steve gets done talking, because I think things are, if it, the election was held today, I think that's what we should be thinking, allowing for any number of stupid to come down the road. Aaron. Uh, one, I will say, assume you're being lied to yet again. Probably the most prophetic statement, at least that's ever been made on this show. Two, I have a question. The big question that I've asked before, but a question that I'm going to ask you in the overtime that I just don't. I don't understand. And and the answer could be really simple. And I, I, it could just be, we're all stupid. Like, Well, not we're all. They're all stupid. <laughs> uh, but the question I'm going to ask you, I'll, I'll save for the overtime. But I think it's I think it's the question that needs to be answered. The, the big question that needs to be answered uh, when when we walk through these polls. BlazeTV.com slash Dace is where you can go so you don't miss this later today. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. We're going to make this one for free. 
but it's just kind of a taste of what we do in the overtime every day. All right, so if you go to blazetv.com slash Dace, get $10 off a Blaze TV subscription right now at blazetv.com slash Dace. Try the free trial. In fact, this is a great day to try. Try the free trial today. See if it isn't worth the money over the next 10 days. I kind of think it will be blazetv.com slash Dace. So with all of that said, a ton of news occurred. Since we went out of here on Friday, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by if two cops are executed in broad daylight, does anybody care? Unfortunately, we learned the answer to that question over the weekend as two Los Angeles cops in Compton, while sitting in their cruiser, were approached by a man with a gun in broad daylight and they were shot multiple times. Both the officers are expected to make a full recovery. Eyewitnesses to the event were not disgusted. Them got aired out, cuz. They just bust on them, that's crazy. When the cops were rushed to the hospital, Black Lives Matter terrorists picketed the hospital, blocking ambulances from entering while repeating mantras like, we hope they die. I want to deliver the message to the family. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, riots were attempted on Sunday night after an officer involved shooting of a man who charged at them with a knife. Unlike previous riots across the country, however, the Lancaster Police Department appears to have taken an incredibly proactive posture, conducting flash raids on rioters and arresting those who committed criminal actions, as well as setting bail extremely high. Checking in on the continued fight for equality, we'll start at KFC. Give us a name now. I can't do Next, we'll go to a recent Spirit Airlines flight. Are you my boss? You are white privilege. You're not my boss. Sit down. Sit down. You're not my boss. I need to And you're not my boss. You're white privilege. Sit down. Checking in on Kenosha, Wisconsin, while 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse rots in a jail cell awaiting his trial after being charged with first-degree murder and attempted murder. One of the people he shot in self-defense is still out and about and has become somewhat of an icon. Gage Grosskreutz had half his right bicep blown to bits by Rittenhouse after he rushed the 17-year-old brandishing a gun. I'd like to give a moment of silence for both of those who are not with us today and for each and every other person who is not with us today. After wildfires continued to rage across the western United States, California Governor Gavin Newsom is doing a good job of not letting a good crisis go to waste. We're in the midst of a climate emergency. Uh, we're in the midst of a climate crisis. Uh, we are experiencing weather conditions the likes of which we've never experienced in our lifetime. Checking in on Joe Biden. But you know what is actually threatening our suburbs? Wildfires are burning the suburbs in the west. Floods are wiping out suburban neighborhoods in the Midwest. Hurricanes are imperiling suburban life along our coast. If we have four more years of Trump's climate denial, how many suburbs will be burned in wildfires? How many suburban neighborhoods will have been flooded out? Kamala Harris said the quiet part out loud. A Harris administration together with Joe Biden. Let's listen to that again. A Harris 
administration together with Joe Biden. Coronavirus news, a new report from the Los Angeles Times claims the virus may have reached the United States earlier than thought. The story cites researchers from UCLA and the University of Washington who, quote, documented an unmistakable uptick in patients seeking treatment for coughs. The increase began the week of December 22nd, 2019 and persisted through the end of February. Minnesota's state laboratory admitted less than half of its PCR method test positives for the virus were under 30 cycle thresholds. Essentially, that means that fewer than half of the positive tests for coronavirus in that state were even close to being considered contagious cases. Dr. Anthony Fauci definitely has his voice back, and he says that even a vaccine won't save you. It won't be until we get into 2021 that you'll have hundreds of millions of doses. And just the logistics constraints in vaccinating large numbers of people, it's going to take months to get enough people vaccinated to have an umbrella of immunity over the community so that you don't have to worry about easy transmission. And that's what I mean. It's not going to be an overnight event. A federal judge ruled yesterday that Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf's coronavirus orders, which shut down the state and closed businesses and gatherings, are unconstitutional. U.S. District Judge William Stickman IV, a Trump appointee, said in his opinion that COVID-19 orders from Wolf and Pennsylvania Secretary of Health Rachel Levine violated and continue to violate the First Amendment right to freedom of assembly and the due process and equal protection clauses of the 14th Amendment. NFL ratings got off to a terrible start over the weekend as their wokeness was taken to a new level, predictably. Los Angeles unveiled its brand new $5 billion stadium with no fans on Sunday night. Ratings for Sunday night football fell 23% from last season's debut. Colin Kaepernick, your thoughts? While the NFL runs propaganda about how they care about black life, they are still actively blackballing Eric Reed for fighting for the black community. Eric set two franchise records last year and is one of the best defensive players in the league. Deep State Update, a recent Freedom of Information Act release from the Justice Department, shows at least 27 instances of phones assigned to special counsel Robert Mueller's team being wiped or reset for various reasons, including 15 to passcodes being forgotten or entered too many times. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is, mass amnesia is totes legit, yo. La amnesia masiva es de fiar, yo. Peter Strzok, meanwhile, you know, the guy who was compromised by having an extramarital affair while making up ish to take down Orange Man, has been going on a media tour recently. Here's what he has to say. And I continue to believe that Donald Trump is compromised by the Russians. And when I say that, I mean that they hold leverage over him that makes him incapable of placing the national interest, the national security ahead of his own. And now stuff you can't make up. A trans Satanist anarchist has won the GOP nomination for county sheriff in Cheshire County, New Hampshire. Ario DeMezzo calls himself the high priestess of the reformed satanic church and ran on a campaign slogan of F-word the police. And finally, feel free to laugh, cry, or actually just laugh. The importance of signing our organ donor cards. But this year, for the first time in my life, I have decided not to sign it. And here's why. I realize how despicable society is, how many evil people are out there, especially since coming to TikTok even more so. 
and I've decided that there's no way on earth that I want any of you to ever get my organs if I die. The only people I would ever want would be vegan animal rights activists because I will give those organs to those people and I know they will not be murdering animals to put into that body. And that's what happened while we were away. We're doing great. That That's legit. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want her. I didn't want her organs anyway. I think we should just air the Jordan shrug and move on with our day. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Brickhouse Nutrition. Hey, you know what? Suddenly they're telling us the truth. Remember six months ago? Six months ago, I came on these airwaves on available research, and what did I tell you? Pound the C and D. Yeah, pound the vitamin C and D. Pound them. Respiratory viruses don't like sunlight, don't like vitamin. What's the sunshine vitamin? Remember this? And, and is it because I'm an epidemiologist? No, I, I did what you all wanted me to do. I, I trusted the experts. I went and looked at what expert opinion told me. And it said, hey, scrub your surfaces, wash your hands. Indoor climate-controlled environments are a Petri dish for the virus. And pound the vitamin C and D. Is, is that not what I said? You said that. Yeah. Now suddenly they're telling us these things. Right. Last month, it was Anthony Fauci admitting uh, to Matthew McConaughey that the virus doesn't like sunlight. So, of course, he's the mastermind behind lock everybody indoors. Right. And now he wants to tell everybody what I told you six months ago. Yeah, I'm on vitamin D supplements. <sighs> Folks, this is why you want to take advantage of as much preventative possibilities for your health as you can and one of them is Brickhouse Nutrition one scoop has a full serving of USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables you know the kinds of things that boost your immune system you know that okay and and Field of Greens by the way is also prebiotic and probiotic so it helps with some of those digestive issues a lot of people are having these days too just put it in one one just put one scoop in any water based drink shake it up and you are good to go and right now you can save 15% off of your first order with the offer code steve at brickhousesteve.com 15% off your first order with the offer code steve at brickhousesteve.com and if you decide, hey, this stuff is good, the kids are into it, let's keep getting it, they'll take 10% off your subscription every month. Offer code Steve for both of those deals when you go to BrickHouseSteve.com. All right, let, let's get to the uh, smorgasbord that is in Aaron's montage. What happened and is happening right now, but what happened in L.A. in particular while we were gone, there's, there's just, when you're raising children, there's certain things that it needs to be impressed upon them if they ever go there that they just simply can't ever, it, it, it's just any more than you would like refuse to breathe or eat, right? You, you, you ever have to do that with your kids? There's just certain things, and if they cross that line, it has to be impressed upon them in that moment, right then and there. This can never happen again, ever. The stakes are too high, right? Yeah. Can never happen again. 
It's the classic line of the mom who drags her kid out of a parking lot away from a car. You ever do that again, I'll kill you. Right? Okay? Because obviously that's a bit of a self-refuting statement, but she's making the point, the, the stakes here, the cost of you, of you committing this, of this act are simply too high. Right? This is not your typical mouthing off. This is not your typical uh, shut up to your brother and sister. You know what I'm saying? This isn't flunking a test or faking being sick. This is, that's not good either, but this, the stakes here must be confronted with maximum prejudice now, right? Yeah. What happened in LA is one of those moments collectively as a society. There just has to be moments where we say, no, no, no. And the proper response is what the police in Lancaster, Pennsylvania did. Not not tolerable. Not setting the precedent. Not putting up with it. We're not letting our gender-confused medical examiner uh, foobar this thing up. We're not going to listen to our communist governor. We are just going to act. We took an oath to protect and defend. That includes, by the way, our own officers. And we're just going to act. And we're going to send a message that in this community, this won't be tolerated. And if it means we have to inconvenience every last one of you so that you then internally apply the pressure within your own culture saying, I don't want to go through that again. So we don't do that here in Lancaster County. Obviously in Los Angeles County, you do. But, and it just goes to show I don't know why anybody lives there. I mean, I was just there. I don't know why anybody lives there. I don't. Um, that has to be a no-go. That's like a red line in society. Cannot happen. And yet it did. In broad daylight. But what do you expect when the guy who tried to kill Kyle Rittenhouse saw it on video He's leading protest marches. Remember back in June for like 10 minutes? And it started here in Des Moines when a bunch of cops felt really bad about what happened to George Floyd. And took a knee to show solidarity, empathy for the fact that he took a knee to the throat for nine minutes and died. Right? Yep. We're, we ain't in Kansas anymore, Toto. We're pretty far afield from all of that. Whatever, whatever nobility once existed in BLM, or maybe a better way of putting it, whatever perceived nobility once existed in BLM has it's long since gone. And these are acts of domestic terrorism. The blocking of an emergency room? Folks, it's not just those cops that had to get there. How many people do you think have to go to an emergency room in Los Angeles in a given night? That is an act of domestic terrorism. And you have the governor doing 
global warming photo ops. Why do you, any of you live there? I, I really think we need to start having this conversation. I mean, there's only a few things you can do. You can vote people out if that doesn't work. If you're so outnumbered by insanity, to me, you have two options. Like, you lock and load. We wouldn't call for that level of vigilantism. Leave. Just just move away. Leave. Why, why stay there? Why? I don't understand that. I don't. You know, to me, it's the reverse of Sam Kinison's classic move where the food is back in the 80s during the famine. Why just stay there and starve? Why stay there and subject yourself voluntarily to this level of insanity? I find it funny that, you know, there was a massive argument on this show within our audience about the impact of not watching the NFL and the statement that would send, right? How many people do you think are living in Washington State, California, Illinois, Y'all, I'm not watching NFL. I'm sending him a message. But I have to live here in these states that actually subsidize what I claim to be against and educate people to think this way with my tax dollars. I, I just have to live here forever, and I'm trapped. Does that make any sense to you, Todd? Well, that was my point then. Let the mindset go all the way to its logical conclusion. No doubt. I mean, if you think this works... And losing 20% of your television audience when you have your number one television commodity on that on that platform in the Dallas Cowboys and one of your largest television markets in the in Los Angeles at the same time. Clearly, you know, it was one thing when you saw the numbers with thir- on Thursday night, but that wasn't a competitive game. The Texans aren't really a big brand team. Kansas City's not a major media market. But now you're talking about the number one brand in the NFL and one of the top television markets. That is a yo, no doubt. Well, imagine if like a bunch of you just got up and moved away from these places. Why, why stay there? I don't understand that. You know, one of the reasons we're taking so many supplements these days is a lot of our food has been stripped of that good stuff so they can have a long shelf life. They have to sterilize, otherwise it spoils. Same thing happens to our pet's food as well, especially if you buy that that dry dog stuff. I mean, they love the taste of it, but a lot of the good stuff they need the most is gone. The vitamins, minerals, nutrients, pre-probiotics, antioxidants, omega oils, etc. That's where Rough Greens VitaSmart comes in. It is not a new dog food, but it's a dog food supplement that you sprinkle on the food your dog already loves. And apparently, uh, it's going to love it even more. Our dog, Cap, loves this stuff. I can't vouch for its taste myself, but apparently dogs love it. And it's going to put all that good stuff back in their food that they really need. So if you want to see, if you don't see a a positive change in your dog in just a couple of weeks, why not try the 14-day challenge, the Jumpstart Bag, right now available for you. When you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze, that's R-U-F-F, it's how it's spelled, roughgreens.com slash blaze, that's roughgreens.com slash blaze the name of the book playing with fire a modern investigation into demons exorcism and ghosts and it's written by our good friend billy hallowell good to see you brother how are you 
I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. So what uh, what drove you to tackle this topic? Uh, you know, it's one, it's one of those topics where it comes up and I'm thinking, I don't want to, I didn't, I did not want to write the book. Okay. If I'm being fully honest, I'm, I'm a lifelong Christian. I believe in these things, but it's complicated and it's tough. And so to be fully honest with you, I was offered an opportunity to do it a couple years ago. I said no. And then the opportunity literally came, dropped on my lap and I sat and I prayed about it for two months. And I'm like, is this a topic I want to pour myself into? And I felt like it was what I was supposed to do. And so I dove into it and I have to, and I have to tell you, it was one of the best experiences, honestly, going through, and I know this sounds strange and and sort of looking at evil in a different way looking at the bible and isolating i think we tend to isolate a lot of the positives right and and the solution you know jesus coming dying for our sins all of that uh, but we don't often look at the other side. And so it was a really unique experience to get a chance to do that. Go whether it is uh, Netflix or Amazon uh, or Hulu, go look at the horror section there and it's going to be replete with movies uh, that tackle the topics of exorcism, demonic possession. Um, you look at, uh, the. there's been a renaissance of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were the, uh, the, the renowned and somewhat uh, criticized Catholic demonologists uh, of the 70s and 80s, uh, who've both passed away, but the Conjuring films have kind of resurrected their fame, uh, and, and, and they're now all over social media posthumously. There's there's Clearly, on a cultural level, a lot of interest in this topic. Is there more interest in this topic in the culture, though, than there is in the church these days? That's such a great question, and it's wild to me. When I was interviewing pastors for this book and kind of really diving in, and just so people know, I tell stories, I interview people who feel they've been possessed and they've been healed, and then I also go to theologians and pastors. And one of the things that really stuck with me was this idea that culture is talking about this more, meaning Hollywood and television, than the churches. And that was something that also showed up in polling data. We went out and asked, you know, church leaders, we said, hey, do you believe in demons? Do you believe they're active in the world? And obviously anybody who's read the Bible and is calling themselves a Christian knows that that is the case. And so 85% of them believe that, yes, you know, demons can cause problems in people's lives. 87% said, yes, demons can cause problems in culture. Uh, but what was so fascinating was that when you, when you kind of flip the switch and you said, okay, well, are churches and pastors talking about this enough? 78% said no. And these are church leaders who are admitting, you know, we're not doing a good job on this. And so we can get into why that is, but it is fascinating to watch Hollywood obsess over this and obviously not present a biblical worldview many times when they're presenting this, but that they're talking about it more. I mean, Hollywood than we are. That's how, a little convicting. How is that possible? Well, I mean, look, why are they more interested in our own subject matter than we are? That's really what we're asking, right? Right. And I think we see this we we see this happen, you know, quite often. I think on this issue, I I think there are probably 10 reasons why this is happening. You know, we don't want to be the weird people. Look, I'm either weird book person because I wrote this. Honestly, I'm not going to lie, that was a fear in the back of my mind. I've sure. written a book about the end times. Now I'm writing about demons. But I like tackling tough topics, and if we're not talking about this, if we're Christians and we believe this is real and we're ignoring it, the absolute danger not just to the world around us, but to 
Christians who are not realizing the impact of these things is paramount. So I think people are afraid of looking weird. I think people are also, especially pastors, you know, they're hesitant to lead in with the difficult issues. We also have the ear tickling. And I know that you've talked a lot about this. You know, people, pastors who are out there only talking about the positives, only talking about, you know, the the solutions, but never really getting into the problem, which by the way, understanding evil actually points you back to your need for grace and for Christ and all of that. So I think I think there's a lot going on. We, we've also been dumbed down theologically um, in the church, and we see this across issues. So it's not a surprise that the materialism of the world would seep into the church in that way. About a decade ago, I used to write, Billy, for WorldNet Daily when that website was really going strong. And um, I used to write about a lot of pop culture things. And I, my wife and I um, uh, went to see a film on opening night called Paranormal Activity. I remember that one. And, and we were, it, the, the theater is sold out on an opening night. So the, the, there's a lot of nervous energy already in the, in, in, in the room. And I was fascinated to watch that here we have an, an, a couple, an unmarried couple living together that are being haunted by a demonic entity. And in this film, they, they go to academia, they go get a demonologist at the local university, they Google, they go online and do research, um, they talk to her father, um, they, they, they seek out like every sector of, of knowledge on this topic, except one, and it's the church. Like the 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 the... There's there's no priest that comes in with the you know the full Catholic you know liturgy. There's no uh, Protestant minister, maybe the Episcopalian parson. So he's wearing the collar because that looks good, you know. And the film, none of those stereotypes. When we had the last kind of satanic panic movie craze in the '70s after the success of The Omen and The Exorcist, right? Um, none of that in that movie whatsoever at all it didn't even like vilify us or pillory us it's like we did not exist it's like they were up against dark forces in the spiritual realm and the idea that they would come to us for help wasn't even on uh, it's like we didn't exist on this alternate earth and that blew me away when i saw this film i wrote a column about it at the time and and i think that is what you know, the, the Conjuring films with James Wan overtly used Christian imagery and language as the pushback against the demonic energy. But in a lot of these films these days, we're not there, bro. No, what we're is not. That? What do you think that says? Well, I think it says a lot about us. I mean, the reality is people are fascinated by this. And I was discovering this as I was going through working on Playing With Fire. You know, obviously, since the beginning of time, people have been claiming to have these experiences, right? Possession has been with us forever. The claims of possession, the claims of, of demonic activity, these are not new things. The the belief that a house is being, quote, haunted, you know, and I address ghosts in the book and what Christians say about that. Um, but these things are not new. And there's an innate human interest, which is why Hollywood is tackling them. And what is so interesting to me is that so many people, I mean, look around you. If you watch a reality show and you watch an entire season of it, you will see the people on that show go and see a psychic generally at some point. I mm -hmm. mean, every real housewife of every city has gone to see a psychic on those shows. People want to, they want to connect with the dead. They have all, they have all of this interest, which by the way, opens all sorts of different doors. Um, but yet we don't, the church is not there to answer those questions. I can't tell you how many people I've encountered 
honored who have said, oh my gosh, I went through this horrible thing. I, I went to my church and they couldn't even help me. They, did, they said, oh, we don't believe in that or oh, we don't deal with that. And so there are a lot of people who end up at the Catholic Church because of that, because they actually do have a system for dealing with it that is sort of universal. So I think it's convicting to us that people are not even thinking to turn to us when we are the only ones who really have the solution to it, right? And I can't tell you, even even reading reviews, which is always entertaining, and you know this as an author, there are people who are mad when they start to read the book, and they're like, I can't believe there are Bible verses in this and that there's scripture in it. And so there's this disconnect because we're actually not having the conversation, and that's exactly why I felt convicted to actually write it in the end. So what I hear you saying is we're spending all this time trying to figure out how to reach this culture on a level or a playing field or a connection point that it can relate to, right? There's so many of those conferences. That's every article in Christianity Today for the last 20 years, basically. Okay, right? Okay. (laughs) What I hear you saying, though, is the culture is actually most interested in that old time religion that we think we were, is not sophisticated enough and is passe to this culture. That's what I hear you saying. I think that they don't even realize they're interested in it. So when you start to dive in, you've got 46% of the country saying that they believe that demons exist, that they at least believe in the possibility. And I think it's higher than that. But we know that polls are showing at least almost half the country is open to demons and about the same believe in ghosts. You start getting into how many experiences have you had? So many people have had these weird experiences they can't explain. Now, not all of those things are obviously demonic. Some some stories are there's a natural explanation. But I do think, to answer your question, that people are much more open because the reality is these things are happening in the world around us. Now, what we do with that, how we approach people with that, I think that's what we need to reevaluate. But when the church is not talking about it at all, and I have some chapters in Playing With Fire on this, when the church is sort of retreated from this issue, because yes, it's admittedly strange. When you get in, and I talk about all this in the book, what are angels? You know, or, I'm sorry, what are demons? Are they fallen angels? What is exorcism? It reads like a sci-fi mm-hmm. horror, you know, movie. All of it does, but the reality is there's a connection point there that people have this natural intrigue and they want to know more. So, um somebody you probably know, uh Christian comedian Brad Stein years ago made the observation that if Catholics see Mary everywhere, Protestants see Satan everywhere. And, um, and, and hey, I lost my job. The devil's all over me this week. No, dude, you showed up late for work three days in a row, never called in sick, and you get ghosted your company, and they fired you for being a lazy miscreant. You fired you, not the devil, right? Okay. That being said, as when you finished this, how did it change your perspective on this? Did, were, 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 were you more open to it um, um where or or less so um i mean are you on your way to berean assembly of god there in new york city after a re- i mean t- you tell me what, what did you find after you finished this well, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, at, when I dove into this, I was scared. That was another reason I didn't write it because I'm a lifelong Christian and I know we I know we have authority over these things as Christians, but I didn't know a lot about it. I went into this knowing the baseline. I had never isolated scripture about Satan to look at his characteristics. I knew he was bad, obviously. I knew he was the enemy, all the all the words we use, but to really understand that character of who Satan is and the confusion he's sowing, I knew these things, right? But but to really read that and then 
to really look at those isolated incidents, and I go through them in the book, where Jesus is going out and expelling demons, what is happening in those situations. So I was no longer scared once I got into it and I started to understand it. It actually made me much more confident in my faith, much more, um, I, I recognize now the need to understand evil because it really points mm. you back towards the good, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't, you can't really understand Christ until you fully understand what is going on on the other side of that. And it gave me a new lens. I've spent the last 15, 20 years talking about politics and culture. And then to really look at culture through the lens of, oh my goodness, the confusion that is being sowed, the chaos that is happening, even though I knew in my in my mind that it was coming from those places to feel that in my heart after going through it and to really understand that, it gave me more of a burden to actually pray for others and pray for culture and pray for our leaders more than I ever really had. So I felt for me walking away from this that I got a real sense. And just so everybody knows, I approached this like a Christian because I am one, but also like a journalist. I wanted to understand the different ideas, the Mm -hmm. different viewpoints on all of it, um, so that I could walk away and say, okay, I've got a good idea now of what's happening within the church. And to your point, by the way, I have some chapters on the dangers of over-spiritualizing too, right? So, but to simply answer, I'm much more open to the idea that this is happening. And and I think oppression, not possessions very rare, but a spiritual oppression is happening really frequently. And if we're not aware of that and talking about that as a church, not only is our church in danger, the physical building, but the people within it are. And so, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there, but I really, it, it was one of the most interesting projects I've ever worked on. Playing with Fire, a modern investigation into demons, exorcisms, and ghosts. Billy Hallowell, good to see you, brother. Good to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. You bet. Take care. So I saw that uh, sheriff's, that GOP sheriff's candidate that uh, won the nomination there, the reformed Satanist. Do you guys know, what's reformed, does that mean he's a five-star, he's a five-point Aleister Crowley? What, what's, that, I mean, he believes in uh, a demonic predestination. I mean, what, what's five-star, or what's, what's reformed Satanist mean? If you don't know, I refuse to look it up. <laughs> Are you guys as open to this as you guys used to be, though? I mean, if well, someone showed up at your at, yes at, at, and the, no. at the parish, I mean, how many layers of like would your would the Catholic Church tolerate an Ed and Lorraine Warren today, like it did in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s? Would like tolerate them, encourage them, like work alongside a group like that, or would it be like you guys? I mean, this is why we have psychiatrists, psychology. This is not real. It depends on the priest and the bishop. But when you say you guys, uh, corporately, nothing's changed. Meaning the, do- the doctrine's there. Yeah. It's just a matter of whether it will actually be honored, is what you would say. Yeah. Okay. Right. I actually, excuse me, uh, as I put down a pack of Pall Malls, um, I, I, it's really weird, this dichotomy I have in my mind when it comes to, especially when it, when it comes to like demonic possession as well. I am less alarmed than I was back when I was a kid or a teenager growing up because I was a a little bit more sheltered then. I tend to think, though, that it's that it's probably it's at least has has more chance of being more prevalent than we would like to imagine it to be. Because if you saw a video show up on your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed, 
that purported to show a demonic possession, the average person would uh, that's a deep fake. Uh, that's uh, hmm. uh, that's CGI. It, it would be a lot more easy for the devil to get away with that nowadays than it, than it used to be. I am fascinated by the part of the conversation him and I had that there's a lot of interest about this in pop culture, more so than there is in our own churches. Hour two is next. We're back for hour two, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show over on Parlor at Steve Dace. And then our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. If you are a, po- a podcast listener, we love you just the same. Thank you very much. Two things we would ask for you to do in exchange for liking the program is hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet, wherever you podcast from. Leave us a five-star review as well. The more of those things that happen... And we have gotten quite a bit of them already, but the more of those things that happen, the more the show grows. And we want to thank all of you that have done those things for us already. Hour two of the program is underway, brought to you by Car Shield. Few things in life, if you're me, elicit more fear. I'm not really much of a fear-based being to begin with. So the the list of things that that get a fearful response from me is un piquito. Okay. I just don't like living based on fear. I spent a lot of my childhood living in fear and I just vowed when I got out on my own, I'm not living as an adult, a life of fear. Okay. But one of those things is when the check engine light comes on, you know what I'm saying? I gotcha. That, 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 that can be either something I don't know how to fix or more money than I want to have to spend. And either one of those scenarios it's not good, okay? You don't have to worry about that, though. If you get Car Shield, they offer a wide range of protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, which means that check engine light, a lot less scary when it comes on when you got Car Shield. And you have the freedom to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and Car Shield gets the rest taken care of for you. Even if your car breaks down while you're traveling, the choice of a repair shop, it's still up to you. And on top of that, there's no long-term contracts or commitments. The payments are flexible and car shield plans are customizable to your exact need. That's why they're America's number one auto protection company. So if you don't want to dread car repairs anymore, get peace of mind with car shield, get coverage today and see why car shield cars go farther. 800-665-2157. That's the number 800 665 2157 and mention the code Steve or visit carshield.com and use the code Steve to save 10%. Carshield.com promo code Steve. Remember, deductibles, depending on the plan you choose, may apply. So earlier this summer, the office of Senator Ted Cruz sent a detailed letter with a baker's dozen questions to Robert Redfield, the head of CDC. Seeking clarification on, frankly, some of the issues shows like this have been bringing up with what we have and have not been getting from CDC. The last week of August, CDC 
Robert Redfield, the director, sent his response to Senator Cruz's office. The senator's office has been kind enough to allow us to share this response with all of you today. And that's going to be our topic for fake news or not. We're going to look at the 13 questions this hour that Senator Ted Cruz's office asked Robert Redfield at CDC. And we're going to look at his answers. And we're going to determine based on our own extensive research on this topic and the various topics that are going to come up in this conversation is what you're watching and listening to from CDC. Is it fake news or not? Now, gentlemen, all three of us are going to chime in here. I, I want to remember, though, let's be I want to throw one handicap in there because I've been really hard on Robert Redfield this year, and I think it's been entirely justified. But let's also keep in mind the answers to these questions were authored the last week of August. We're sitting here now about two and a half weeks later since this letter was sent. OK, and there have been news and recent developments that have come up in the last two and a half weeks. So when it's possible, let's 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 keep that in mind in, in how we handicap whether the context of what we're hearing here is fake news or not. OK, OK. All right. So here's the first question that Senator Cruz's office asked Dr. Robert Redfield at CDC. To what extent are repeated positive tests counted as new coronavirus cases by the CDC, other federal entities, and state entities? All right, so how are they count, counting this, and, and why was this pertinent? Because you have people coming back to work, they're being tested repeatedly. Um, how many times are we being tested if we go back to school, we go back to college campuses, right? We're, and, and so how are they categorizing these numbers okay what does uh what does it look like when they're adding the math here was cdc's answer to senator cruz's office quote new coronavirus cases are intended to represent a single infection per person regardless of how many positive tests a person has had rare duplications are possible for example if test results are submitted with incorrect names or dates of birth, this is not the norm, but this is not the norm. CDC lab testing data counts total test performed, not the number of unique people tested. So these data will include dual reported tests and repeat tests. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that answer. I th I think I'm good with that. There's a ton of other reasons why the numbers are high, and I'm glad this one seems to be have largely set aside. I, I can accept this one. Aaron, what do you think? Um, largely, I, I guess I I can. I, I always get tripped up when it comes to just my my general posture towards the CDC. Um. And the word intended there, you yes. see that? Yeah. Coronavirus, new coronavirus cases are intended to represent. Why would you need to tr throw the word intended there? If you're the, if you're the chief disease policy making and data gathering body <clears throat> in the Western world, why would you need to throw the word, word intended there? Surely, surely there were some, and again, this seems like nitpicking. But again, surely there were some pandemic-related 
uh, flow charts for how you would count things just in general. Yes, this is a novel coronavirus, but it's not a novel virus. It's not a novel pandemic necessarily. Um, so why, why the hesitation there? That would be my, my only sticking point. Help me reconcile the first and last sentences of this answer. New coronavirus cases are intended to represent a single infection per person, right? Last sentence, CDC lab testing data counts total test performed, not the number of unique people tested. I don't understand that. So idea. these data will, will include dual reported tests and repeat tests. I thought he was saying we also have that information as well. Because it couldn't, otherwise it's a gross contradiction. I agree. I thought he was saying we have this <clears throat> demarcated in multiple ways, but we do know unique individuals. But we also know. I mean, help me, if, if my goal is to find out who is and who isn't infected, then I'm trying to remember, is it the denominator we're talking about here? Not the numerator? Okay. If the goal of the denominator is to find out how many people are infected, shouldn't the denominator be the amount of people tested and not the amount of tests? Yes. Because the tests aren't infected, the people are, right? I'm trying to find out which people need require treatment, mm -hmm. which people require, um, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, require treatment. So isn't it based on the people then, then not the amount of tests? Needs further clarification. Yes, yeah, he, I think this answer is actually very confusing. Oh, it's con it's confusing. It was so confusing that, I, that my reaction was, I can buy this because I can't, they can't possibly have put forward in their first question something so contradictory. That last, I think that last, can you now see, if, my eyes are reading that last sentence as, as we have the data both ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so who's filtering that out then? But that's not a... Is it being filtered out? Is it, or yeah, is it yeah, being well, filtered yeah. out? But to, to... I'm not discouraged that they have lots of data on all these fronts. That's not... That's not the sin. It's if they are confusing. it, And it seems like they're telling you, no, we have all this data in both ways but we're clear on how to separate it. I, I'm surprised I'm giving you... You're, you're right. It, it could be interpreted that way. <clears throat> I agree that it could be interpreted that way. If I also think it could be interpreted the way I'm, I agree. I'm suggesting. And if I'm that cynical on question one this of is this the first baker's question. dozen, we're yes. not going to get very far, man. I know. This is the first question. <clears throat> because ultimately, it would seem that a person could test positive multiple times in order to find out if it's safe for them to return, right? Mm -hmm. But it's still just the same person infected the whole time. Yes. You're, you see listen, what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying. I, listen. So I think, why is it so hard to clarify this then? Because they're not good at this. Mm -hmm. but, but, I, okay. but I do think that you know, for all of these phantom unknowns that we've all agreed upon basically on this show, you yep. know, that this is still yep. a coronavirus yep. and you keep like needlessly panic porning. But 
it's important to have the data of the people who have tested multiple times okay. to see ultimately what how they track over time. That's that's not unimportant to have, but it, it absolutely it would be gross malfeasance. And he's telling you right out of the gate, we're not counting it as multiple new positives. So we just have. Here's the question then, based on this answer, and I'm I'm quoting the answers from the letter. You guys have, yeah. You guys have yeah. both. I gave you guys both hard copies of the letter Dr. Redfield sent Senator Cruz's office. Yes. Okay. I'm quoting from his answers. Based off the way this is worded, do you just trust them, face value? That they're filtering that out in their case count. You're making me. Uh, See, I know. Okay, I. I don't. I, I'm not. By the way, I don't know that they're not. I'm just saying that I don't find this answer as instantly clarifying as I had hoped that it would be. That's all. Listen, here's a, because we know so much on multiple. I I find the other reasons for I mean, there's over, other places to, to, for, over for us to fight back. I hear you. As much or more compelling Agreed. than this one. Yeah, I, yeah. I, listen, I, I think the odds of somebody being tested over and over again positive um, are not nearly as damaging when you apply cases to, to public policy as the cycle, the virus cycle threshold uh, score, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What we're doing there collectively does a lot more damage in terms That's of locking down the I'm country than this talking point. I agree with you on that. I just expected this one, man. Be pointed. Yes. I expected this one to be hanging curveball over the plate. No, we're not that dumb. And I didn't get that answer when I read this. Okay. I got it. I pro- you know, the truth is, and I'm, I, I really read it the way that you did. But I really think you could read this the other way, too. Which is why I was hedging a little bit yeah. when I answered. Like, I'm pretty sure I think I kind of, sort of, yeah. All right. Question two that Senator Cruz asked Dr. Redfield at CDC. Earlier this year, it was reported that the CDC and some states were combining the count of antibody tests with diagnostic tests. Has the CDC corrected this problem? If so, what steps has CDC taken to correct this problem? Has the CDC provided states with clear guidance to ensure uniform and accurate reporting? Have all states taken similar actions to correct this problem? Now, keep in mind, one of the states that was doing this originally was the senator's own state. Texas was one of the states counting antibody tests with diagnostic tests. I believe Arizona is still doing this, and some other states are as well, okay? Now, I believe, just as an aside, I believe every state's doing this unintentionally. Why? Because they've dialed up the sensitivity of the cycle viral threshold so high that some of what they're picking up in these viral artifacts are antigens. And they are unintentionally doing an antibody or immunity study and including that in their positive cases. And I believe that's going to get proven here shortly, okay, in the next week or month or two. Okay, but that's one of the theories I'm working on right now. Okay, but so I think every state is doing this, but unintentionally. But that that wasn't an issue at the time the senator wrote this note. This was just about we're taking antibody test and counting a positive for an antibody as a positive case. Texas was doing this at first. This is Dr. Redfield's answer to the senator's question. 
CDC is making progress in addressing this issue. CDC has been rapidly moving to a more detailed form of COVID-19 electronic laboratory reporting from state and jurisdictional health departments to CDC that seeks to more clearly identify the type of test that was administered. As of August 6th, 37 states and jurisdictions have converted to this more detailed reporting to CDC, which represents more than 71% of the laboratory testing volume in the country. So here's what this means. At least this is what, well, this is what I think it means because I'm interpreting his work. It means up to 29% or close to one third of the results as of early August were double dipping between uh, antibody testing and diagnostic testing. Okay. And it means that up until August 6th, who knows how much of it was double dipping. See, my analysis is just the reverse. Had a lot of confusion and fake news at the top, but then assuming they're not just lying straight to your face at the bottom, I can, okay, you're doing that now. That's good. That's fine. But I'm I'm going to largely declare this one fake news because it, you, you, while you're catching up, you still aren't disabusing in any aggressive public way the narrative caused by what you did at the outset that created the panic porn mm-hmm. that bent people out of shape mm-hmm. on every level. So this time I can't give you the, the benefit of the doubt. You're just trying, yeah, yeah, we're cleaning up the, I know the house was on fire um, and now it's just kind of smoking a little bit but we're doing pretty good you needed to do better right out of the gate it's why they gave you that job in the first place at at the very least don't you think the senator's office needs to follow up here a month and a half later from august the 6th aaron and see what what further progress has been made on this front well well yes obviously i I think that's something that needs to happen secondly as well i know this is the federal government here I, i know it's the federal government so expect nothing. So expect nothing. Expect things, if they do move, to move extraordinarily slow. However, we've been told repeatedly that the science changes. It's a fluid situation. Why wasn't the situation with the combining and the conflating of antibody and testing results, why wasn't that changed fluidly very quickly? Mm-hmm. How hard is it to send out an, a, a papal encyclical from the, the CDC saying, do not combine your antibody and direct testing results. End of story. When you report these things, uh, when you report these two different data sets, report them differently. Do not combine them. How hard that would that have been? Who's the president, Aaron? Yeah. So very hard. All right. Now, I'm telling you, with, you guys know the questions to come. There's going to be a lot more confusion to come. We have tackled two of the more clarifying answers. Yeah. Okay. And it's 1218, guys. All right. We got nine more of these or 10 more of these questions to get through. Like the hard ones are still coming up. Okay. Question number three from Senator Cruz's office. Federal and state mandates on federal, state, and private health financing programs and, and entities have created incentives for providers and hospitals to quote up quote or excuse me, up code by including coronavirus as a diagnosis in order to obtain higher or guaranteed reimbursements. What is being done by CDC to reduce the risk that upcoding could impact CDC reported coronavirus data? This is an excellent question. 
Answer from Dr. Redfield at CDC. CDC does not have decision-making or oversight authority for medical coding, nor does CDC regulate or enforce proper coding. The Department of Health and Human Services and the Office of the Inspector General is at the forefront of the nation's efforts to fight waste, fraud, and abuse in these <laughs> endeavors. Further, when <laughs> providers and hospitals submit Medicare and Medicaid claims for care provided for beneficiaries, these services must meet the coverage, coding, and payment requirements. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, by law, is only permitted to pay claims for covered services. So we don't have to debate that one. That is a buck passing, is what that is. This is that's this. Ice Cube. I ain't the one, is what Robert Redfield is saying right there. I, it, ain't, it, it ain't me. It wasn't me. And why would you feel the need to pass the buck? Because it's because we'll look at the senator's question. He just he just he knows that this is going on. He's not even asking, hey, is the upcoding happening? He just is stating affirmatively it is. In other words, let's not BS ourselves. We know this is happening. So what are you doing about it? All right, and he's saying, hey, Redfield is saying, we're not empowered to do anything about it. We just take this data from the coding that these entities give to us. So take it up with them. Which, which That's is, what he's saying. Which is what you hear when you call your insurer a lot of times. This is, this is yep. they all, if you're involved in healthcare, whatever side you're on, you have this, you have a tramp stamp of what he just said <laughs> on yes. you. This is Wasn't the, sing, this is the yeah. singularity because this is simultaneously... Uh, true news and total fake news at the same time, which is the soul of our current healthcare situation. Yes. And Obamacare, by the way, yeah, which was so, passed, but, but despite the, what Buttigieg may have told you. Here's what he didn't tell us, though. Who who can order CDC to recognize these codes? Right? Somebody, ultimately, CDC has to report to somebody that we're going to recognize the subcoding in our stats. You know what I'm saying? They ultimately they have who so who are who who tells them that because that would tell you then ultimately who's responsible for this right yeah. but but clearly they're sending you on the it's one of these three are responsible for this by the way you should know the centers for medicare and medicaid services when when the governor of new york claims that it was the trump administration that told him to reinfect the nursing homes it was actually a memo from cms this department that's what he's referring to all right that they sent out on their own number four how many Americans died from delaying, reducing, or being denied care due to stay-at-home orders, state lockdowns, and orders to stop elective care? Answer from Robert Redfield at CDC. At this time, CDC does not have estimates for the number of Americans affected by the COVID-19 pandemic in respect to delaying, reducing, or being denied care. Fake news. It does. You think it does? You yeah. think he's just flat out lying there? Uh, he's he's he knows. He knows. He, he's guys. He's said as much. He's on video. I, I wish. Didn't he say on video it, they I, were more concerned with teen suicide rate? He, he said on video what, yeah. we're seeing more. We're going to get to the suicide rate in a question, by the way, in a minute. So remember what I'm about to tell you. He said on video, Redfield did, that right now we're, we're, we're seeing a higher increase in teen suicides than we are transmission of the virus amongst school-aged children. That's the video you're talking about, right? Correct. Right. Okay. This is where... Remember this when we get to a question later on here. Remember what I just said, all right? See, he's involved in the data on this level as you are politically. Mm-hmm. So you you know where to look. So this is basically... He knows <laughs> that all the numbers are in their separate pots right there. Yep. They just haven't brought it together. So the, he's just saying... I, yeah. 
basically say we haven't counted the beans because the beans scare the hell of us and so we're not going to count them i mean right well the questions the senator's office is asking are very they did their homework the questions are very specific so that it's forcing out answers yeah. like yeah. this yeah number five how have the reported incidents of suicide, drug abuse, and other diseases of despair and social isolation changed year to date from comparable periods from 2018 and 2019? If there has been a statistically significant change, has the CDC examined whether stay-at-home orders and state lockdowns have driven the change? Look at this answer. Quote from Dr. Redfield. While data timeliness is improving, because of the length of time involved in completing the death investigation process for suicide and fatal drug overdoses, death data are not reported in real time. Therefore, the most recent preliminary death data available is from 2019. CDC collects near-real-time near data on non-fatal suicide attempts and non-fatal fatal drug overdoses. Because the most recent death data reported is from 2019, CDC is unable to estimate suicide or drug overdose deaths in 2020 or draw comparisons between 2019 and 2020 suicide death rates. Preliminary analysis data indicates a higher percentage of emergency department visits for suicide attempts between January 1st of this year to July 21st or 25th of 2020 than we observed during the same time period in 2019. This difference is, listen to this, is most pronounced between the week of March 8th through the 14th of 2020 and April 5th through the 11th of 2020 when we observed a 50% increase in the percentage of emergency department visits for suicide attempts when compared to the same time period in 2019. Then CDC notes this in their answer. President Trump declared a national emergency on March 13th of 2020 and on March 16th of 2020 asked Americans to stay home when possible, unquote. Now, they don't connect the dots, but it's pretty obvious that Dr. Redfield is implying here at the very least and urging you to do the math that the 50 percent spike and ER visits for attempted suicides or suspected suicides directly correlated to when we went into hardcore lockdown in the country. That is the closest to true news we've had uh, since the first question. And even to that, it's, it's chilling, it's scary, we know the cause, and uh, if we actually didn't uh, have to worry about uh, real time, about actual completed uh, suicides, it would be even more unpalatable. So allow me to just kind of pull my punches on this a little bit. But yes, it's bad. It, it, there's, no, there's no gloss in that. This is the closest, as Todd said, we've come probably to a straight answer. Now, had it just been the first half of this answer, uh, we don't have any real-time data yet. It would have sounded a whole lot like, uh, I hope they just take my word for it, and by this time next year, when we supposedly do have that data, everybody will have forgotten about this and we don't actually have to... But mm. he actually went to the step of saying, here's the data that we actually do have in real-time. It does show an uptick. And so, at least he is somewhat cognizant. Cognizant, of, and he's, he's said as much as you just alluded to in, in the video uh, from a couple of months ago as well. 
you know, they're cognizant over there of the cost, the unintended consequences, I believe, of, of lockdown. So that's that's the closest to true news we've had so far. All right, this one's only going to take a limited amount of time. That's all we have left in this segment. Question seven. Remember, a lot of the Texas surge that was going on at the time that Senator Cruz's office wrote this to CDC was border counties, right? At some estimates, they were driving 25, 30% of the new cases and hospitalizations statewide in Texas at that time, right? So the senator's office asked question number six of all the individuals who were treated for coronaviruses in hospital or for coronavirus in hospitals within states along the U.S. Mexico border. How many were identified as foreign nationals? Please include data for both past and present patients and delineate patients by country of residence. That's a pretty specific question, right? Yep. Answer from CDC was one sentence. CDC does not collect information on citizenship status of COVID-19 cases from states and jurisdictions. This is true news. It's true news probably, but it's like it's What does the what does the prefix pan mean? Pan everything wide. Mm-hmm. Pan everything. Do you think during a pandemic that we should be maybe collecting data on where things and where virus and where uh, and what people are coming into our country and where they're going? Don't you think you should be? If we're going to tell a bar owner that? in Arlington or in Austin, Texas, you shut your business down because of what's happening at Hidalgo County. Sure as poop, that guy better know if my family business is about to go under. We better know. If you're telling me I got to shut my business down in Austin, Texas, because of what's happening on the on the Rio Grande, sure as poop, I better know, Todd, what's going on down there. Of course, but again, this is the singularity. It it is true news, but it is the fakest of fake, which is our healthcare industry. And now you're bringing in the border and how we handle that to boot. There's no logic. There's no common sense of it. That he couldn't have he. That's the he wrote that because he know anything else just puts him in his incrimination. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. All right. We're going to try to get through the back half of these. And the topic of masks is going to come up when we get to these questions. You don't want to miss this as we continue on right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast next. So what does COVID-19 have to do with losing your home? Well, it turns out it could be quite a bit. The FBI says since the virus has struck, cybercrime has skyrocketed 75% in America. And one of the leading cybercrimes right now is home title theft because cyber thieves have figured out that our home titles are kept online. So they forge your signature on a quick claim deed and refile as the new owner of your home, and then you're off the title, uh, they will destroy you by taking out loans in your home, stealing the cash, the equity you have built in. And then they stick you with the payments, and you may not even find out until you get a late payment notice or maybe even a foreclosure notice in the mail. Home Title Lock, though, will help you prevent this from happening. They will put uh, a barrier around your most valuable asset, your home, your safe haven, and the moment they detect any tampering whatsoever, they will mobilize to shut it down. But first things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim and then use the promo code steve for 30 free days of protection that's the promo code steve at home promo code steve all right let's get back to this letter 
and the answers. This is a letter that Senator Ted Cruz's office sent over to Dr. Robert Redfield, head of the CDC, earlier this summer, seeking clarification on a lot of the issues shows like this have been raising with the data or lack thereof that we were getting at the time. They received an, uh, uh, an official response from Dr. Redfield at CDC. I want to say, is the letter August 25th, 26th? I know it's the last week of August. Correct. Is yep. when they received their responses. We are going through these questions and CDC's answers and determining which of these are fake news or not. Now we got to accelerate the pace a little bit because this is one of the shorter segments, all right? So let's continue. Next question. How many Americans, Senator Cruz's office asked, have recovered from coronavirus? Is the CDC aware that other countries have released data on this point? And the absence of clear recovery data from the CDC has created a point of confusion among Americans. Answer. States and other jurisdictions maintain the data on the number of Americans who have recovered from COVID-19 and do not report these to CDC. There is no standard method for determining recovered COVID-19 patients at the national level. Now, I'm going to take this one myself, okay? This shouldn't be a problem. His answer is, should not be problematic. But the problem is that it is. And the, and the problem is why? Because we did a national policy of all these lockdowns, right? If we had not done these lockdowns, then there's nothing wrong with having this data stratified at the state level where local departments of health are the closest to the situation. But if CDC, remember when CDC had guidelines recommending mail-in balloting, remember that earlier this year? Closed, they say they didn't close the schools, but then they put in such draconian standards for keeping them open earlier this year, there was no point in trying it. Meaning that if we're going to nationally have, hey, shut down for 15 days to flatten the curve, 30 days to slow the spread, then by golly, yeah, there needs to be a nationally standardized you know, way for us to track this data. Otherwise, how would I ever know when we win? If I live in Idaho, don't you think I kind of want to know what the national stats are if my kid's school in Idaho is shutting down because New York is, is, is a hellhole, right? You know what I'm trying to say? Oh, I do. Since we nationalized this from a public policy standpoint, you bet your sweet bippy we better ha have a national idea of what the recovered patient rate is because it matters. It's determining our public policy. So it shouldn't matter because we should have never done the lockdowns. They were stupid. We've never done anything like this before. But since we're doing them, then yeah, we kind of need to have a uniform standard for what a win looks like. You bet we do. Next question from CDC number eight. Oh boy. How effective are masks in preventing the transmission of coronavirus? Please provide data on the effectiveness of cloth masks, surgical and procedural masks, professional respirators, including N95 respirators, and eye and face protection equipment in preventing transmission of coronavirus. Now, here's part of the answer. The rest of the answer is citing a bunch of studies. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute, okay? N95 respirators reduce the wearer's exposure to airborne particles from small particle aerosols to large droplets and protect the wearer to exposure from coronavirus. Unlike N95s, face masks are loose-fitting and provide only barrier protection against droplets, including large respiratory particles. Most face masks do not effectively filter small particles from the air and do not prevent leakage around the edge of the mask when the user inhales. In other words, when you breathe. 
The role of face mat, the role of face mask is for patient source control to prevent contamination of the surrounding area when a person coughs or sneezes. Individuals with confirmed or suspected COVID-19 should wear a face mask until they are isolated in a hospital or at home. While the available science does not allow us to say definitively that masks offer personal protection to the wearer, evidence is mounting that they likely do. After pointing out that they likely don't. Our best evidence is based on studying other respiratory infections, and yet they didn't have us wear masks for these other respiratory infections all these years. Growing evidence supports the concept that as the number of people wearing masks in the community increases, transmission among individuals in that community decreases. Now, we could do a whole show on this answer, right? Okay. There's, there's, there's a multitude of studies that he cites here. Most of them, though, are in other countries and with populations in the hundreds, small communities, um, isolated communities like a nursing home or something of that nature. Right. Did you guys look through these studies as well? Sure. OK. The one study that I think is, is the most interesting is he points to a Goldman Sachs study that was published earlier this summer looking for, hey, can we just wear like what I suggested in March? Let's just wear masks and not shut the economy down. Right. Okay. Remember when I suggested that yeah. and people at places like CDC told me I was nuts. Okay. So Goldman Sachs did a study with this as a premise. Here's what it found. It requires 15% mask usage for every one maximum 1% of cutdowns on the transmission of the virus. And to me, that's the study that's the most applicable to the context of this question. Cause we're trying to figure out, this question, how to open the whole country up. So 15% mask usage led to, according to Goldman Sachs, uh, anywhere from 0.06 to 1% reduction on a given day in the transmission of the virus. So 15% to 1% was the best case daily scenario for the efficacy of masks, according to the Goldman Sachs study cited in this very CDC letter. Now, I know we could go off an entire show on just this question, but we have other questions to get to, but I got to let you guys respond to this. Go ahead. So you're saying there's a chance. This is both these last two answers. You know, that scene in Volunteers where John Candy is teaching the uh, the other volunteers that don't speak English so well how to play poker. And, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, well, see, you have a full house right here. And in America, that beats my two pair. But since we're playing here, it's the other way around, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> These these guys are paid how many figures to do this on our behalf? Do these sound like people are really interested how about in getting the to answer, the bottom of things? They open the answer by saying it doesn't protect the wearer, and then they say, but the evidence is mounting that it does. I can't, I can't believe I'm losing to this guy, said John Lovitz. So remember Dr. Fauci's main contention with HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, which was then parroted in a, an incre- incredibly snide and condescending way by CNN's John Berman to that poor Ivy League epidemiologist. I can't even remember his name now because he's been erased uh, because he's a quack now as well. Oh, Dr. Re- um, Harvey uh, Risch. Yes, thank yes. you. Uh, yeah. regarding, regarding the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, And the main supposed bugaboo, the main bugaboo, no randomized controlled trials. No randomized controlled trials. Where's our randomized controlled trial for masks? It's too dangerous to try one. Too too dangerous to try one. Yeah, apparently it's too dangerous to try one. I, I, I just... 
here's 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 the thing knowing what we know at least from even if you want to call it anecdotal evidence about using hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic uh and using it very early on even amongst symptomatic and what that and what the results of those studies have been even if you want to call them anecdotal studies which fauci apparently wants to do i would trade i would trade wearing a mask with no randomized controlled trial if they'll give us hydroxychloroquine for treating people, or if they would have given us hydroxychloroquine for treating those with symptomatic cases. Because then at least at least in that trade, we're doing some good. Mm-hmm. At least in that trade, we are doing some good. And here's the funny part about all of this as well. I have seen multiple videos from people on YouTube, so you know, you know what's coming from a reliable source where they'll put a mask on and then they'll have some sort of aerosolized material right in front of them and they'll start coughing on this and say, hey, I see, see? The, the, the aerosolized material doesn't move around. Masks work. And I'm just sitting there thinking, uh, that's a cool anecdote, bro. Where's your randomized controlled trial? Because apparently that's, apparently that's the gold standard, except for when it comes to masks. So until you come up with that, Director Redfield, uh, kindly shove it. Sorry. All right, we're going to skip the last question because it's about schools, and I think that answer is kind of outdated given the fact that schools are open and we have real-time data. We're going to go through these last three, and then I'm going to let you guys respond to them as a block when we're done. Okay. Okay? Number nine. The question is, of of those deaths attributed to coronavirus, how many of those deaths would have likely occurred at some point this year because of other causes? Dr. Redfield, this is a question that is difficult to answer because there is no data or scientific evidence that can indicate for certain whether deaths would have occurred from other other causes. However, I did this. I went and looked at CDC's excess death estimates in the U.S., and it has increased 8 to 12% compared to this time last year. However, the excess deaths in the U.S. actually peaked in April and have leveled off since June. I'd like to see Sweden's excess deaths as well. So, in other words, once we got past New York and New Jersey, you got your answer. A lot of people are dying who who sadly probably would have died from this or other causes at some point in the next 12 months. Okay. Number 10. What percentage of those who have contracted coronavirus are estimated to be asymptomatic? Answer from Redfield. Due to the nature of syndromic surveillance, which picks up an increase in people being sick, asymptomatic cases from people who never seek medical care will always be missed. The current best estimate for a percent of infections that are asymptomatic in the U.S. is 40 to 45 percent. However, the percent of cases that are asymptomatic remains uncertain and further systematic studies are ongoing. Keep in mind how high that number is, and we shut the country down, okay? Next question. What percentage of those who have contracted coronavirus are estimated to have mild symptoms or symptoms not requiring hospitalization? Dr. Redfield answer. CDC has efforts ongoing to use a variety of data sources to provide estimates of the fuller burden of COVID-19 in the U.S., including both hospitalized and non-hospitalized cases. In addition, CDC has implemented multiple large-scale seroprevalence studies, that's an antibody study, to better understand the prevalence of infection throughout the U.S. population over time. The first summary of these data from 10 states demonstrated a higher level of infection in the population than had been reflected by confirmed case counts. I can tell you it was between 11 to 24 times more infections than their case count in every state. 
Most of these unrecognized cases are likely asymptomatic or mild infections in people who recovered at home without seeking medical care and testing. And then the final question. Has the CDC studied or analyzed without any pro- whether any protest rallies held during the period of March 2020 to the present contributed to or increased the spread of coronavirus? If so, please provide the underlying data, including the location of the increased transmission. If no, please explain whether the CDC expects to study this issue in the future, right? So the CDC, the guidelines on social distancing comes from which entity? CDC, right? Which events have had the least amount of social distancing of any in this country in the last six months? Protest, riots. I was going to say church, but, you know. Answer from Robert Redfield is one sentence. Quote, CDC is not currently studying or planning to study COVID-19 transmission at rallies or protests. So, gentlemen, think about your answers after I get to this. If you're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust, if you're going into this market of uncertainty, make sure you go to realestateagentsitrust.com. If, how do I find that agent with a track record of success that's been fully vetted? Well, the name kind of says it all. They don't get listed unless they've agreed to be transparent and vetted, and then they passed the vetting itself. So go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Anywhere you live in the country, there might be some remote area you want to move to. We can't help you, but just about anywhere else realestateagentsitrust.com is where you can go to find that agent who will go all in for you at realestateagentsitrust.com gentlemen your thoughts on this final block of questions and answers i want to zero in on on question 10 regarding asymptomatic I think that figure was 40 to 45 percent was the estimate mm-hmm. of asymptomatic cases. One, I just saw yesterday a video from Dr. Fauci back in March. Now, this video went viral for a different reason. He scoffed at a CNN interviewer who asked him why he touched the microphone that President Trump had just been using when we're told not to, when we were being very, very careful about where our hands were going back then. He scoffed at that. He seemed upset about that. But, but uh, he was asked also if he was tested. And he said, no, that's, he essentially had said, no, that's dumb. I'm not symptomatic. Symptomatic, asymptomatic people don't need to be tested. That's one thing. 40 to 45% is the estimate of total cases here in the United States that are asymptomatic. What was that story in the montage today about Minnesota's PCR testing? Yeah. PCR method testing? Like half of them? Like half of them. Yeah. Hmm. That squares up almost All these universities who are we testing? Yes. Bunch of asymptomatic college students, right? Todd, the fraud perpetrated on us for months now. I mean, I quote the Joker, uh, this city deserves a better class of criminal. We need to test. We need to test. We need to test. Except when we don't. The, the, <laughs> the amount of unknowns or knowns that have been manipulated, bent and twisted out of all recognition to tell a tale that they don't really tell, it's criminal. It's just criminal. There's... There's several follow-up questions that need to be asked as a result of this. Um, Why are we testing so many asymptomatic people? How come all of your, how come we weren't wearing masks every cold and flu season then if the evidence is mounting? At the very least, it means you never bothered to even do the research then to see if it would work. Because either it suddenly works now and you didn't do the research before, or you knew the research before and they didn't work, so what changed now, right? Yes. It's one of those two. Why would there not be an interest in researching 
the potential spread of the virus at the largest potential mass spreader events we have had in this country this year, right? Those are just a few off the top of my head. So phenomenal job by Senator Cruz's office asking those questions and getting us some answers. And thank you for sharing them here so we could share them with you. That'll do it for today. Stick around for an overtime you don't want to miss. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.